0: okay i guess we'll get started so uh good morning good day good evening to all of you who are here today and uh welcome from to all of those that are are in hawaii the u.s mainland canada and europe so flint is out today still And so I will be your host today. And as always, I'd like to start out with the 15 minutes of sitting. So we'll just take a few minutes here to sit in silence. (laughs)
1: Thank <laughs> you.
0: Let's do the um, Vast is the Robe of Liberation, the Robe Chant. Vast is the Robe of Liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the Robe of Liberation, So hello, everyone. It's nice to see everybody. Um, <clears throat> on preparing for this talk, I, I have to admit I had some difficulty um, settling on a topic. I was going from this to that. And, and um, maybe, I don't know if it was the grief ceremony that had that impact on me or it could just be me being me of changing my mind. At any rate, um, I finally, most of the things I was looking at just kind of fell flat so finally I was kind of neatening up my papers and things and I came across an article that I copied a while ago. Uh, It came from Lion's Roar, and uh, it's called The Four Highest Emotions. It was published in January of 2000, January fourth, two 2019, and it's by Aya Kema obviously it's talking about the brahma viharas and so um, i just want i took a section of it and kind of went over it and so i'd like to to talk about it it's the first part on 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 meta loving kindness so i'd like to just um, talk about what they had to say in in the article and then i thought we could open up and we could share around it or, or share around anything actually but, um, so uh, as human beings we often think of love uh, on a purely personal level with rather fanciful ideas that are usually based on our desire to be loved and with some sort of some sort of expectation of of uh, fulfillment And yet, love only fulfills the one who loves. One only fulfills the one who loves. So if we could just understand that love is a quality of the heart, it is what the heart does, the heart loves, then perhaps we wouldn't um, handle love as, as people customarily do. Generally, we divide our heart into different compartments and different sections, and one section may be the lovable, another one will be neutral, and another one will be the unlovable. So we have this divided heart when we're dealing with other people. And as having a divided heart just doesn't feel very good, so we can only be whole if our heart is united in love. Feels love from all the different compartments. True love exists when the heart is trained to embrace all human beings and all living creatures. Obviously, this requires a training program that at times is extremely difficult, especially when we meet with someone who is especially unfriendly or unpleasant or unkind. But it, it can this point can be reached by everyone, actually, because we all have the capacity for love within us. It just takes some training. <laughs> um every moment that we spend on the training of our hearts is is valuable every every moment of it and moves us closer or further down the path closer to purification of the heart the more often we remember that all our heart has to do is love that's it just love the easier it will be to distance ourselves from our own judgments and condemnations. That doesn't mean we don't distinguish between good and evil, but hatred of evil isn't always in our hearts. On the contrary, we have compassion for those who act in a way that does harm. Thank goodness for compassion. Most of our problems have to do with interpersonal relations. So to address these problems, we can consider the teachings of the highest emotions or the Ramaviharas, or the ones known as the four divine abodes, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. If only these four emotions were available to us all the time. Unfortunately, it isn't that way otherwise of course we'd be living in a paradise all the time most of the time we torment ourselves with difficulties in our family within our circle of friends and at work it's the people we spend the most time with right our mind is constantly telling us what we don't like and we usually find someone to blame the person who's bothering us, the person who won't see things as we do, as we do, etc. But remember when what someone else says or does is their karma alone, only a negative reaction on our side creates our karma. This is what we must understand. Who is doing the loving? myself or the other. If I love, then I have a certain purity of heart. But if the love is dependent on this or that person or this or that situation, then I'm passing judgment and dividing people into who I think is lovable or unlovable. We all look for an ideal world but it can only exist actually in our own heart. In order to develop our heart's capacity, we have to learn to love independently. We have to increasingly purify our heart, liberating it from negativity and filling it with more and more love. The more love it contains, the more love it can give out. But the one and only thing that prevents that is our thinking, judging mind. The only thing that matters actually is to turn our heart to love because the person who loves is lovable too. But if we love because we want to be endearing, we fall into the error of expecting results for our efforts, If an action is worth doing, then it doesn't lose this value. Whether we get results or not. We don't love as a favor to another. We don't love to get something. We love for the sake of love. And we succeed in filling our hearts with love. The fuller it gets, the less the room for negatives are. The Buddha suggested we look upon all people as children of our own, loving all men and women as if they were, um, as if we were their mother. This is a pretty high ideal. But every step toward that goal helps to purify our hearts. The Buddha also explained that it is quite possible that we already are mothers to all men and women. If we keep this fact in front of us all the time, it will be much easier to get along with others, even those who do not strike us as lovable. If we observe ourselves very carefully, and that's the point of mindfulness, we will find that we are not 100% lovable, just like everybody else. We will also observe that we find more people as unlovable than lovable. That does not bring happiness. (laughs) We should try to change this around and find more and more people as lovable. We must act like every mother. She loves her children and even though they sometimes behave very badly, she still loves them. I think of my dog. This is kind of an aside, but my dog is very naughty sometimes, very extremely naughty. But he just makes me laugh, you know. What would it be like if we loved other people that way? Anyway, we can recognize this as a way of practice. So the Buddha called this kind of love metta. And it's not the same as what we generally call love. Oftentimes, what we're calling love is actually craving or wanting to have, and it's often interpreted as love for us because the entire world revolves around wanting to have, grasping and so forth. So we interpret it as love. However, it is not love because love is the will to give. So. In this article they're talking, but I've seen it several places, they talk about the far enemies of the Viharas and the near enemies. So in terms of love, the far enemy of love is hatred. And the near enemy is clinging. Clinging is where we're not standing on our own two feet and giving love, we're holding on to someone. The person who is the object of clinging might just want to get rid of this clinger, as it can often feel like a burden. And so comes the surprise that the love affair isn't working. It looks like real love, but the difference is the possessiveness that marks clinging. And over and over, possessiveness brings in to love. True, pure love means that we can pass love on and give it away from the heart without evaluation. <clears throat> Here we have to be on the lookout, <clears throat> excuse me, for the negativity within us. We're always searching for its causes, the causes of negativity, out, And we're looking outside ourselves, but they're not there. They're always in our gut and dark in our heart so recognize don't blame and change we must keep replacing the negative with the positive when there is no one there to whom we can give love it doesn't mean that no love exists the love that fills one's own heart is the foundation of self-confidence and security which helps us not to be afraid of anyone this fear is traced back to our not being sure of our own reactions if we meet someone who hasn't any good feelings to bring our way then we already fear a corresponding reaction on our side and so we prefer to avoid such situations in advance but if the heart is full of love then nothing will happen to us because our reaction will be completely loving Anxiety becomes unnecessary when we've realized that everyone is the creator of his or her karma. This feeling of love, which is aimed not at only one person, but forms the basis for our whole interior life, is an important aid in meditation because only through it is real devotion possible. So this is the full topic on love, and it goes through the rest of the Vima um, uh Brahma Vihara's, but I decided just to stick with love, just to start with that, that's enough. <laughs> so in kind of summation of this, um, we need to understand that the judge in our own heart creates nothing but conflict. If we really want peace, then we have to develop love and compassion in our heart. That we need to be aware of negativity and clinging and just keep opening our heart, knowing that our karma stems from our actions and words and that it is the same for others. So if you'd like to discuss anything in that or have some other questions, please feel free to raise your hand. We have Joel. Hi, Joel.
2: Hi, Laurie. First, I want to say thank you for the, what what you and Robin did yesterday to organize the the ceremony that was, it met a great need. Thank you so much for that. Um, And, I have what I want to say was I, I'm reminded of a series of jokes that I've seen on the internet. Yeah. Uh, the joke is that Dad says he doesn't want a dog, but then there's videos showing him playing with the dog, you know, and really in, in a very in a very loving interaction. And I saw one comment that said. It's not that dad doesn't want a dog. It's that he can't stand the prospect of the heartbreak if the dog, you know, dogs have shorter lives than humans. So that's it. And that 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 is the problem with love for that that showed up yesterday that it that it is an opening to grief when we lose someone we care for. And the shock of realizing, as the Buddha taught, that there's no safe harbor, and we cannot protect the ones we love. That's the hard part to me. Absolutely. Um, and, and and I have to work on compassion for myself for the, the armor I put up, you know, and for the hardening I, I put up. Not to mention the tough situations like you were describing where we are... Meeting someone who,
1: uh,
2: what's the word, you know, who who does not hold us in high regard, uh, (laughs) who wants to tell us how we are doing everything wrong and uh, those kinds of situations, um, that is that is a challenging teaching, you know, but is it is one that is found everywhere throughout the Buddhist teachings that you have to let go of your conditioning enough to at least recognize that you share Buddha nature with every single person you meet, even if somebody's having a disagreement with you.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no getting around grief if you you love. It's just part of the deal. So, the question is you know an individual question: is it worth it to you to to, to love somebody and I think that if <clears throat> yeah, that love is just so such a wonderful wonderful thing
2: so yeah. i um I was reading some about Kisa gotami uh yeah. who. You know, has been so. Peg and Flint have both taught about this story uh, in the life of the Buddha. Uh, and she, after meeting with the Buddha after her experience of looking for a mustard seed in a house where there has been no death and not being able to find one, she meets again with the Buddha. she she asks to become one of his disciples and and she does and then in the uh, teragata i'm sure i'm saying it wrong but the the poems of the buddhist nuns for the earliest buddhist nuns there's a quotation from her in which she says i'm beyond all that now i no longer feel any uh positive emo- emotion or negative emotion i'm just i've just moved beyond that and i'm contemplating the deathless mm. and- uh, what is moving to me and 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 what i what i want from that story is connection connection that can withstand grief not a putting aside of grief not an exile of those feelings you know
0: oh yeah
2: is that possible is it possible to to do what i'm asking for <laughs>
0: put aside your, your feelings of grief.
2: No, I, but to be able to proceed without being overwhelmed.
0: Well, that's another thing, you know, I think you can have grief and not necessarily be overwhelmed. You may. And even if you have periods of overwhelm, it's not constant. Grief is never one thing that lasts the same forever. Everything changes, right? So certain periods are certainly worse than others. And I, I don't want to say great grief is, is good, but there are some positive things about it, I think, in the sense of when you grieve so much over someone. I, and I don't know the conclusion I gave to when my sister-in-law died um, or when my dad died. Um, if I didn't already know it, It was very clear to me that the amount that I grieved over him, and it was a year of solid crying, you know, crying every day. And I thought, when is this ever going to end? But I also realized that I was crying so much because of how much I loved him, you know, and there's something in that that's reassuring. You know, so yeah, you might have overwhelmed, but I don't think it lasts forever. And the overwhelm is a time when you can reflect of why are you so overwhelmed? It's because mm. the love is so strong. Maybe that's a mind game, but anyway.
2: Amen. I have, I will say I'm, I'm bringing this up just because I'm still feeling reverberations from the ceremony yesterday and from the the you know the courage of all the people who came forward and expressed. Very strong emotions, and those are those are still ringing in you, you know,
0: I do know, and I think that's why I picked this today. The same was going through me, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, Spirit- thank you, thank you Perfect. for the teaching mark.
3: Bridget. Thank you. Hi, Bridget. Lori, I, I want to ask you or ask others who are here invite you to um, give me ideas on how you overcome your clinging. I was at the grief uh, and loss ceremony yesterday, and it's been, uh, I've just passed the one year anniversary since my son had. My younger son stopped talking to me. And I know with the holidays approaching, I'll probably see him again. And the remarks you made earlier about if you what comes up when I'm anticipating seeing him are the very things you described about, um, you know, being a bit anxious or fearful of how it's going to go. And so that seemed to relate to clinging. And so how do I how can I work with my heart? energy to um, diminish that clinging so that he may, and I may be more free to just uh, be present to each other without or with less anxiety or fear. That's my question. Um,
0: That's a really good question, because clinging is so strong, right? It's right in there. And this is the essential question right this was what the buddha buddha mentioned this is the four noble truths um, there is suffering and there is what we need to do is look at our suffering look at our suffering if you follow, follow the four noble truths it's kind of a Theravadan approach but um, we look at our suffering and really try to understand what exactly are we suffering about? What are we, what are we craving? There's a craving going on there, there's something that we really, really want. And, and if one spends enough time um, in meditation with this, just sitting with it, what is this, what is this craving really about? What is it exactly about? And, and it will arise what that craving is about. And then you need to figure out, okay, so the craving is this. I'll give you an example. I did this, I did a process like this with my mother because we were, we've been at odds a lot of times. And um, so I spent some, a lot of time saying, what is my suffering? Because I'm, and I finally realized that I thought it was because she didn't see me and so forth. And that's true. I was suffering that. But I was also suffering, I wanted her to be different. I wanted her to be who I wanted her to be. And once I realized that, um, I, I, I knew that I had to let go of that because expecting someone to be something they aren't. You know? Now, that was my situation i'm not saying that that's the situation you have but that's the process that i went through and then once i said oh okay i've always thought my complaint was with her that she was the she was the problem but the problem is actually mine in the sense that i was creating suffering for myself requiring her to be something she couldn't be you know and so once that came out of it i said okay. Um, okay. So now I can approach this in a very different way. I I, I got to let her be who she is. It's not, you know, real, in this case, it wasn't like real, true love to not let her be who she is, even though it's difficult. You know what I mean? So that was my big aha moment. And then I just went through each of them. and. And so, where's the cessation? Cessation is letting her be who she is. So, if you work through them like that, and just, like I say, in meditation and really focus on it. So that's one way, and I've found that to be fruitful for me. Another way is that suffering that you hold. Is if you can create a big space, you know, around yourself. Create space, a lot of space. And then put your son in that space. And he's not so huge. He's just a part. It's like you put a whole sky around you. Yeah? And that's your space. And your son is there. But he's not the sky. He's one element there. And hold him in that. Laurie, thank you so much for offering this article. I wonder if you could cite the source one more time, um, because I'd love to go back and reread it
3: many times.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's Lion's Roar, and it's the January fourth, two 2019 edition. And who's the author? It's um, Aya, Aya, Kema Kema K-H-E-M-A.
4: Um, Lori, one of the things you said for some reason stuck, uh, and I, I don't think I fully understand it yet. I wonder if you can talk about it. Uh, he said love only fulfills the one who loves.
0: Yeah. It just means That's that really Yeah. Mm-hmm. My understanding of that is um, it's one's loving is is the point. One's loving, not not the impact that it has on the other not you know we're not doing it for a purpose than just to love that's what the heart does there's no attachment to it so it fulfills if you love somebody it it fulfills you you yeah. that doesn't mean there's not a positive effect on other people when you love them but that's not what the focus is here it's more that loving is what we we can do that's what we have control over. Yeah, and it fulfills us to love, even though it breaks our heart. Yeah. Yeah. That, but how uh, much do we get out of loving somebody? I mean, it's immeasurable.
4: Yeah, that that one really struck me, and that makes a lot of sense the way you are explaining that and helps give a few ideas of what's not love, you know, when, 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 when we're expecting results or, um, yeah, the other might be there too. You know, I notice in my own life, I, I, I know that there is a real, say, love for my son, you know. And there's also sometimes, uh, (laughs) Judy Myers helped me with this one. She said, if you notice you're depending on somebody, there's a clinging to that love, really. And I've been noticing it with different people or things. And it's kind of like the love can sort of move inward toward itself and want to attach and hold on. And it seems to be a constant process of letting go, you know. And uh, so that was also interesting what you said. um, The near enemy of love is clinging because it can really get in the way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Because so. when one is clinging, it's about them. It's about the person who's the person who's clinging, it's about their need. Mm-hmm. Not about love for the person. That doesn't mean you don't love them, you know, but it's about their need. Mm-hmm. Their insecurities or you know, whatever. When yeah. that, that can that can be a problem. People don't want to be kind. to. uh
4: uh-uh. No, and, and if and if we create that space, then that ability to really love them without those conditions opens up for us. You know. How can I love that person but give them, you know, freedom of agency and everything else at the same time it's really a big deep and hard practice
0: yes it's a it's (laughs) a full order for sure yes yeah thank
4: you thank you
3: jesse
0: Uh, Well, if there's no one else, we can go on to doing this, the four practice principles. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, Life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you all very much. See you next time. Appamata's programs and facilities are because of you, because of you all and your generosity. Thank you so
3: much for everything that you all bring. Um, Contributions can be made on the website as I'm sure most of you know already. (laughs)
0: And uh, please stick around if you are able to and have a conversation with Maria. Maria, is that...